Hello, Darren Steele here, and this is the Think Queerly podcast, where I talk about human-hearted leadership and personal transformation for queer-thinking people. Now, if you're like me and you want to make a difference in the world, you understand that change starts with the responsibility of, of knowing yourself first, and that's very much at the heart of my coaching philosophy, my message that when you freely love who you are, you can freely create the life that you want. And I support that way of coaching or that philosophy with the tenets of leading by example with the utmost integrity and authenticity and transparency. And also give people ways to think, better ways to think and ways to think more critically. So this podcast is where I get to share my evolving insights as a coach and thought leader through the intersection of personal responsibility, neuroscience, and my study of the Tao Te Ching. And I mention that because my intention is to help you, the listener, to see the world differently, to think queerly, to lead from your uniqueness, and to create solutions for the betterment of humanity and the world overall. The title of today's episode is Beauty is Judgment in the Eye of the Beholder, and that dualities create unconscious belief systems that foster prejudice. Now, if you've been following the podcast for some time, you know I'm studying the Tao Te Ching. I've been doing this for several months, and I've come back to the beginning, and I'm working through five translations of this ancient text, and I'm looking at how I can impart the wisdom of this text from from the heart of what it has to say, you know, the ideas that are presented in each verse, but then intersectionally, as I see things literally pop out at me, and sometimes it's very prescient, and today the issue started with this idea of beauty and where does beauty come from and, and how that goes into how we think, how we have these ideas that becomes systematized that we no longer question. So let me read just two lines from the second verse of the Tao Te Ching. When the world knows beauty as beauty, ugliness arises. When it knows good as good, evil arises. So let me speak to that a little bit. This is basically introducing in the second verse of the Tao the concept of dualities or polarities or what we can also call binaries, right? A Taoist way of looking at the world is through these seeming, seemingly paradoxes that, well, how can one thing be this and also this? So how do we understand beauty? Well, we can only understand beauty if we decide that which is not beauty. So usually the term is ugliness or beauty, um, refined or lack of refined. And then how can we know what is good, which is a moral opinion, a moral judgment? We have to decide as a society, as individuals, what is ethical, what is moral, what is unacceptable, and this is where we start to see problems all over the world, especially if a different group of people, if a different country has very different moral foundations that we might not understand. Staying close to home, 
Canada and U.S. are very, very similar um, in their moral values, their moral foundations. The one major difference would be how much more patriotic um, that the United States is versus Canada. Like, as a Canadian, I live in Toronto. We rarely see people flying flags on their front lawns. And when I see it, when many people I know see a Canadian doing that, we look at it very oddly, like, why are they doing this? We are, as Canadians, very proud of our country. And we just love, I think the majority of Canadians are just very content to be Canadian, but they don't feel a need to wear it on their sleeve. They don't feel a need to shout it that I'm an American or I'm a Canadian. So that's just an example that creates kind of a little bit of a culture shock for somebody that's not used to it. But let's get into the, the fodder, the meat of this discussion. Beauty. Beauty is judgment in the eye of the beholder and how I came to this through reading the Tao. So the beauty industry, which can be cosmetics, modeling, fashion, weight loss, bodybuilding, all that fitness um, propaganda, put it that way, that you'll see in advertising is dependent upon a conventional concept. And that is ugly is something universal and quantifiable based on what you don't have. Now, this becomes a system in which one's perceived beauty will never be good enough by comparison to someone who is simply more beautiful, someone who is better looking, someone who is thinner, someone who is more elegant. So there's this advertised and promoted need for continual improvement when improvement itself isn't the thing. It's just the marketing to sell you based on your desire that you think you're not beautiful enough and you need to do everything that you can to become that. So this repeated influence through advertising constantly, everywhere, in more ways than we can count, is the beauty industry telling you that you need to buy these products in order to be beautiful. And if you don't have them, you're going to have sagging skin, a sagging butt, that you're not going to have a six-pack, that you're going to be unattractive, that you're not going to have sex. And when this is done long enough, people no longer question it. They just believe it unquestionably. They are triggered by good advertising. I'm not saying what they're promoting is good. I'm saying good advertising in the sense that the advertising itself is effective. Because the advertising then drives someone to feel that they have a need to mask up their ugliness or their blemishes or the fact that they don't look as good as they think they should against the representations that they see in the media of, of models representing brands or thirst traps on Instagram. And these images are promoted time and time again and become ideals. And they take the quality of, I say in quotes, objective representations of what the perfect body or the perfect face should look like. But they're not objective. And the more that we see these images, it's easier for this concept of what is considered to be beautiful to falsely appear as an objective truth. Now, John 
Hyder, who writes the Tao of Leadership, says in his interpretation of verse 2, when you reinforce appearances, people scramble to please. When you reinforce appearances, people scramble to please. Isn't that interesting? So if this mass marketing, is this system says, here is how things are supposed to look for your face, for your body, for your weight, for your clothing, then everyone is scrambling to fit in, to be accepted. Now, culturally, geographically, over thousands of years, different cultures at different times have created different systems of beauty. Now, the system can only exist if there is a description for the dualistic understanding of appearance. In other words, the duality of beauty, the binary of beauty and ugliness, of fat and thin, of strong and muscular compared to weak and thin. Or of that person is too short to, yeah, they're just the right height. You can't be a model unless you're six foot two. Wayne Dyer writes in his notes um, about verse two in his book, Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life. And I quote, the concept of something or someone being beautiful is grounded in a belief system that promotes duality and judgment. Has it ever occurred to you that beauty depends on something being identified as ugly? Just think about that. Has it ever occurred to you that beauty depends on something being identified as ugly? When you hear it phrased that way, that can literally be a shift in how you see the entire beauty industry. This, I don't know if it's a trillion dollar, but I think it's one of the industries that makes the most money from promoting this need, this desire to look better. When the truth of the matter is, we have created this system that we no longer question. We have supported belief systems of beauty for so long that most of us don't question it. I didn't question it, wasn't aware of it for a very long time. And in In my years when I was doing personal training and nutrition coaching, it was probably through the nutrition coaching, but also being a gay man and being very aware of my body and having had body image issues and on and on and on, I started to see, I think, the cracks in the system. And I started to coach from how do you feel and how do you want to feel as opposed to how do you want to look. And the more people that came to me with, I want to look like this, or I want to weigh that much, or I want to lose this much weight, I would not so much back it up as subtly shift the discussion to well-being, how they think about themselves, and how losing weight would make them feel about themselves versus what they would just see in the mirror. So these belief systems that have gone on for so long that most of us don't question it, well, the belief system of beauty versus ugliness isn't the only one that creates and fosters prejudice and bigotry. Think about this. A person isn't gay until there's a belief system that includes straight. 
a person isn't trans until there's a belief system that includes cis. And a person isn't black until there's a belief system that includes white. So then we have these dualities and the mainstream, the status quo, those in power can determine and delimit and oppress and suppress and decide who is going to be considered the most acceptable. So the opening lines that I shared of the second verse of the Tao Te Ching, and I'll just read them again. When the world knows beauty as beauty, ugliness arises. When it knows good as good, evil arises. Those lines speak to the paradoxical unity of all dualities or polarities and binaries. And dualities are nothing but a system of understanding. They're a mental construction that develops descriptions and labels that we use to identify and communicate a comparison that does not exist in the natural world. You know, a red fox doesn't compare its color to a brown fox. A dog doesn't compare itself to another dog. A tree doesn't compare its majestic size to that of another. A human being uses labels like, that tree is majestic, or, you know, they compare their dog to someone else's because clearly boxers are the best breed ever. And I make that as a joke because I've had two boxers and I just love them. But you see what I mean, even making the joke, you know, um, it's not that I'm prejudiced against other dogs. <laughs> That's just a, 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 a truer preference, I think, in that sense. And we won't get into the discussion of preference here. But let's get back to dualities, polarities, and binaries, and that the fact that they're intellectual constructs that are only neutral if they're used to define an objective truth. So... Let's say, as you look out the window, ah, the sky is clear and beautifully blue today. Versus on another day, you look out, ah, the sky is cloudy and it's overcast. Or in your backyard, you have two trees. One is like three or four meters, 10 feet in height, and it towers above you. But another one you just planted as a sapling that only literally comes up to about the height of your knee. Those are observable facts. We can quantify them. We can measure them. They don't require or need a subjective quality of the appearance or the judgment that a human being will make as a moral evaluation. Now, one of the core teachings of the Tao Te Ching is to look at nature to understand the natural order of things. And the Tao Te Ching will say, the Tao and the Tao is that unnameable, the thing that has no name, the thing that cannot be named. Now, someone who is more religious will say, well, the Tao is another word for God. And I disagree because I don't, uh, I don't think along the side of religion. I don't feel I need to have a sense of spirituality or believing in a God. I can simply see the natural order of things as just being something that is too complex for me to understand. And even with science, while we may be able to make sense of things within the framework of science, 
I can be comfortable with recognizing that I'll never understand all of this and neither will the rest of humanity. It just is. It is only human beings who will look at the world and all of its manifestations, all of the things we see in the world, whether those be human-made, artificial, or whether they be nature, and we subjectively label and judge what we see. So the problem is with dualities is when one side of that binary, one side of that duality becomes the only acceptable convention or standard, and it's taken for objective fact, and it's judged accordingly. So for example, what I've already talked about, the current standards of what we constitute or what the fashion industry constitutes as beauty or ideal body weight and physical stature or the ideal gender and sexuality are influenced by the unquestioned repetition of these ideals. Now, as soon as these ideals are questioned and picked apart and challenged, the people who have been complacent in their unconscious belief system will often push back against change with anger and prejudice because you're rocking the boat. More so at from an understanding of neuroscience, you're, in their eyes, attacking either some moral foundation or a belief system that they have, and that puts them on the defensive because they feel no longer connected to you because you're challenging what they believe to be true. So these conventions of opposition, of duality, beauty, and ugly, good and bad, right and left, straight and gay, are nothing but distinctions that we make of our observable world as human beings. And these distinctions, in truth, are only useful when used objectively to describe without judgment, which is at the same time the paradox of dualities. Now, the only way that we can get out of this paradox And to see things simply as they are, without judgment, is to realize that polarities and binaries are just a mind game. In part because of our ego, in part because this is how we look at the world in order to describe it. So it's kind of like a game of ping pong. You know, the ball goes back and forth from side to side. One side hits it with the paddle and then it hits the... um, table on the other side and the other person hits with the table. It's like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Try and hold this dynamic in your mind, the ping pong ball going back and forth, back and forth. Well, the thing that connects the two players is the game. Ping pong. And it is active in that for the game to sort of be real, (laughs) two people have to play in it. Now, we could observers say, well, you know, the player on the left is a really good player and is very sharp and keeps winning points. The player on the right really needs a lot more practice and we can just observe that or we could judge it. We could observe who gets more points. That's quantifiable. We can observe who has more skill if we understand the, the, the technique of playing ping pong, how well somebody flicks the wrist, how little that they have to move in order to get the ball versus the other person. We can judge and say, oh, I don't like the color of that person's hair on the right side. Why do they have to dye it pink? 
It's a simple distinction between those two things. We're simply just observing the game without judgment and maybe quantifying things that we can notice or we can judge it. So let me ask you, if you see someone, anyone, you could, you could ask yourself the question, how beautiful does this person look? Or how gay does that person act? You might find that question sort of affronting. How gay is that person? Well, instead of trying to describe another person's appearance or their mannerisms or their behaviors, what if you just allow them to look the way they look, to act the way they act, to exist as who they are, however they show up, and step back without applying a label, without applying a category, without coming to a judgment. Perhaps look at something you can quantify to do something with your observation as opposed to imposing a judgment. What if you simply allow that person to be as they are? Because who are you comparing that person to? Are you comparing them to yourself or an unconscious standard? Do you know where these standards of comparison have come from? Have you ever questioned the value or the necessity or the reason for that standard existing in the first place? So if you hold that person up to some unconscious standard, they're not good enough, they're too gay, they're not straight enough, boy, they're ugly, I really wish he would put on some makeup, God, if he only lost 20 pounds, he'd look so much better. If you hold that person up to those standards, would it not be prudent that you should also be so evaluated and so critiqued and so judged? So prejudice develops from unquestioned conventions that are eventually taken for granted as observable truth. The more that these conventions are practiced and repeated and spoken out loud or advertised or shared and not challenged, then we start to see the preference for one side of the duality. And when everybody gets on that side, then anyone who is not on that side can be judged. And then you can be taught to prejudge that person for not being part of the in-group. And we could spend the rest of our lives further categorizing, adding more labels, creating more distinctions between who we are. But the result is that we would ultimately only create more division and more discord and more unhappiness and more me, me, me. Or we could see the objective truth of who we are. And that truth is that we are all human beings. That is what connects all of us. The quantifiable measure is that we are all human beings. Anything else that's qualifiable is subjective. It is not anything other than an observable 
opinion of another person or group of people. And that, my friend, is the oneness that connects us all and is not a duality. Nothing could be further from the truth. So, whenever you're ready, there's a few ways that I can help you increase your personal leadership and enjoy more freedom in your life. If you want to access new and exclusive content about human-hearted leadership and personal transformation, then subscribe to my very impactful queer premium podcast feed of Think Queerly. It's just like having a mindset coach in your ear for a year, but for less than the price of having a private coaching session. And if you want more clarity and insight to find out what's holding you back from getting what you want and what to do about it, then we can connect for a 90-minute clarity session. And if you want transformative coaching, four months of deep coaching work with me, which can get really intense, but the payoff for you is more personal freedom, greater clarity and direction in your life, accomplishing what's most meaningful to you and making a difference and living a more joyful life. Then let's meet for a discovery session to find out what's most pressing and how we can help you design that life that you deserve. I'm going to include all those links in the show notes. Otherwise, you can head over to thinkqueerly.com for the premium podcast or darrensteel.com slash coaching to work with me directly. Thanks so much for listening.